I am no longer going to subscribe to the fact that I have to brush off comments and actions that are stripping me from my humanity. Season two of Women. This season is solely dedicated to highlighting, celebrating, and amplifying the voices of Black women. Our voices, our experiences, our existence, our bodies, our lives matter. Welcome to season two. Black. 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 Black women. women. My name is Miriam Abeni Fulashade Ajayi. Um, Miriam, after Mary, one of my grandmothers, my grandmother on my maternal side and a Benny uh, after my father's mother, so my grandmother on my paternal side. So technically, I am named after both of my grandmothers. And then Fola Shade, I actually don't know the meaning of it, but everyone in my family has Ade in their name somewhere. And Ade means of the crown uh, because I come from a lineage of chiefs. Like my grandfather was a chief. My dad is a chief. Um, now my mom is a chief as well. Yoruba is our tribe. And the town that I think we are from is called Surulere. I might be butchering that though. So my father would cringe. <laughs> Forgive me. <laughs> When I think about who I am, I feel like my answer changes every single time because I'm continuously evolving. But I am a Nigerian Black American woman. Um, I'm an immigrant to the United States of America. I'm an energy healer. Um, I practice Reiki, the Akashic Records, and breath work. And I'm also an entrepreneur and a change maker and a disruptor. You know, when I think about who I am to my core, I think I am a wild woman. I am here to roar, to speak my truth, to amplify the truth of others. I believe I'm a medicine woman. What that looks like, you know, speaking to the energy healer part of myself. Um, it's not just Reiki, the Akashic Records and breath work. I believe my medicine is through my voice and through my actions, showing people that they have permission to take up space and be whoever they want to be and to evolve openly and outwardly, uh, unabashedly. And I'm starting to uncover different parts of being a medicine woman through using herbs, through using somatic uh, release, there's just so much more that I feel like I haven't even uncovered when it comes to that part of my identity. And I think that in general, like who I am is just a, a part of a vibration of love and of the universe. 
I truly believe that we are all, you know, not to get too meta, like one. And at the end of the day, all of these labels don't mean anything because I am, I am you, like you are me, I'm the person across the street from me. We are all just one vibration. I was born in Kaduna, Nigeria, and I spent the first five or six years of my life in Nigeria, I believe. I have really, really strangely early memories of growing up in Nigeria, of just this beautiful childhood. Um, it was truly like, you know, I say we're of the crown, but I really feel like I look back at those days and feel like a princess, everyone wearing traditional Nigerian attire, just having a very playful, loving home. I had three older brothers that we were always just running amok. And, you know, when I was five or six, we moved to the States. We moved to Miami, Florida, and I felt like my life completely changed. You know, I felt like I'm, I lived in Wakanda. Do you know what I'm saying? And then we, then we moved to America. <laughs> And, uh, you know, from I, um, I'd seen people of different races before, but not as many, like from going to being a part of the majority, like the standard to quote unquote minority was something that was like very, very distinctly jarring for me in my childhood. Like I quite didn't understand it. Um, and I had been with my dad's side of the family and mostly Nigerian people for like my formative years. And then meeting my mom's side of the family, that also was like, whoa, I had this whole other family on the other side of the world that I had no idea about. And when we lived in Miami for a short bit, and then we moved to Maryland, where my mom's side of the family is from. And I grew up in Maryland, Annapolis, Maryland, specifically. And that also, you know, it was kind of like when I look back on it, this great unlearning of my divinity as a black woman. And with that came society's conditioning on what it was to be a black woman. And I've spent the better part of the last four or five years uh, relearning that divinity of who I am as a black woman because of of my childhood, you know, and, you know, childhood into becoming a teen, into a young adult, into an adult, that transition in childhood really informed uh, my adulthood. And it's wild, too, because even like living in Miami, you know, there was so much more diversity there. You know, I had a black principal, Frederica Wilson, who's now a congresswoman, who taught me the electric slide when we first moved here. And it was like, let us teach you our culture. You know, my neighbor, we lived in a Latinx neighborhood and it was like, you are a queen. You know, it was like this African queen is here. You know, let's roll out the red carpet and then moving up, up north, you know, and people always, I guess Florida's, it's different. Um, it's different vibe than the rest of the South, but it's like moving to Maryland where it's pretty racist, you know, like, it was like who you are is very different. And, 
not different in the sense that you are unique and beautiful for the things that make you different. It's just wrong and you need to assimilate. Um, so really like middle school, high school was when, you know, I started to realize that society was telling me who I was, was not okay. Looking back on the amount of trauma I endured in middle school and high school is almost, it's heartbreaking when you think about it. Like I remember I had a little boyfriend and he was white and I was just like, should I date a white boy? But like all the black boys were quite literally my cousins because um, Annapolis is a small town. And I remember, I, I think I was in seventh or eighth grade and um, his brother's friend finding out. And this was a, a little white boy who's, you know, his parents' best friends, like one of them was black. He had mixed race friends that were really close to the family. And I remember like, okay, if we're going to date a white boy, like at least this one seems to be down. And then I remember his, one of his brother's best friends was coming to teach lacrosse or something like that to the middle schoolers. And he let it be known that he was going to find me and lynch me because this little white boy was dating a black girl. And so it was like, I remember it's just the sheer terror of like, he probably said it in jest and as a joke, but he was like literally running around being like, where is she? And I was hiding in a locker bank and a bunch of my friends were like surrounding me and like taking me from class to class to make sure I was okay. And I remember like, thinking like, how would in the world would that ever be okay for a little girl that's 12 or 13 years old to hear in like the 90s or the 2000s? Those are the things that we learned in school happened to our parents and our grandparents, but racism was quote unquote over. So like how in the world was that happening? And, you know, especially being um, half Nigerian, you know, there were times where I was bullied by black girls because I wasn't quote unquote black enough and that I came from this different culture. So I felt like growing up, it was like, who am I allowed to be that's quite literally safe when I have white boys saying they're going to lynch me and calling me the N word. And then I have black women telling me they're going to beat the shit out of me if I come to school. So it was very traumatic and I didn't really start addressing some of those things until four or five years ago and like realizing through therapy, through spiritual work, how just innately wrong that is for a child to, to go through and how much healing needed to be done around those things in order to be able to walk down any street with my head held high because of the color of my skin and the body that, that I inhabit in this world. When all of the, the uprisings, the George Floyd uprisings from this year happened and just white people were scattering to absolve themselves of guilt of the racism and how they treated people, you know, a couple people, I think I, I said something online about like, this isn't anything that has ever ended. You know, I went through the same things. People were 
bullying a little girl online and just thinking about how angry kids must be. And I recounted that story and I got so many messages from people in that time being like, I'm sorry you ever had to go through that or I'm sorry if I ever took part. And I was just like, I don't care what you're going through right now because I need to hold the fact that that happened at such a a vulnerable time in my life and the fact that that happens in a lot of Black girls' lives, um, the things that we have to carry. And it made me really examine, and this is just this year, of like, how much can we put down forever and just say no more? And can we give ourselves the space to not carry those? I mean, I, I hadn't even told anyone that story until this year um, of some of the traumatic things that I went through. I didn't tell, I'm sure my parents, this is going to be the first time they'll hear it if they listen to this, like some of my closest friends. It's really, it's really heavy. And it's something that like, I'm okay with saying that I'm, I'm going to put it down. I don't know if I actually made it through, you know, like it was survival, right? So it was being the fun one, you know, the one that made people laugh. Um, You know, I also wasn't invited to things just because like my parents wanted to call every person I was like involved with, you know, and it was like just very different in a predominantly white, you know, middle to upper class white privilege setting, you know? So there was a lot of stuff that I didn't experience um, as a child and teenager just because I grew up in a different culture within a wildly different culture. And then for me, it was just easier to be everything that everyone else wanted me to be. And so I didn't really like go there a lot with a lot of people. Um, It's, you know, I'm not the same person that you had met. I think the first time we talked, we probably talked about some of our, our, our deepest desires and our, um, most vulnerable moments and, um, some of our deepest wounds. Like for me, it was just like, let's have fun. Let's party. Let's laugh. Let's dance. Let's make up dances. And it was easier to just be fun. Um, than to even recognize how fucked up all of this stuff was. And so for a while, like that was just my, my vibe. You know, I was fun, Miriam, you know, you down for an adventure? Here I am, you know? Um, and so like even going into college, you know, I went to Virginia Tech and that was, you know, a wild experience in its own. And I remember like going to a frat party with my friends and hearing someone say who brought a nigger to the party and just being like, wow, like I'm actually afraid right now and telling my friends. And it's like, they probably didn't mean it, you know, like that type of thing. And it was like so many violent things are just like normalized. And it was just easier to laugh it off, to pretend like it was okay, to pretend like someone didn't mean it, to show grace to people that really didn't deserve it. And I think that, you know, for me, my great awakening was around, you know, the Trayvon Martin murder and 
just having a breaking point of like, how much longer can my people suffer and can I suffer? And realizing how racism was ingrained into so much and especially um, against black women. And, you know, I was in a very like volatile and toxic work environment and realizing how much abuse I was being put through as a black woman. And I think that that was like my like nothing about this is laughable. Nothing about this is acceptable. Nothing about this should go unchecked. And I am no longer going to subscribe to the fact that I have to brush off comments and actions that are stripping me from my humanity. There was one year where I was really going through it. You know, for me, being this fun person that brushed everything to the to the side and like, you know, I wanted to be like my dad. And at the time, my dad was a socially liberal, fiscally conservative Republican. And so I identified as Republican most of my my childhood, teen and early adult years. You know, I kind of also adopted this mentality of if I work hard, everything will fall into place. And that's America, right? You can come from nothing and you can build something of yourself. I subscribed to that lie for a very long time. And around uh, the Trayvon Martin murder, when I was having like all of the rose colored lenses fall off and the disillusionments fall away, it was when my spiritual journey started as well. And, you know, I suffered from chronic pain. You know, I started to dive into this world of the mystical and was seeing how much my life was changing in front of my eyes. Physically, my body was changing. Mentally, things were changing. I was seeing things like very clearly for what they were for the very first time. But it also like it was the death of this other side of myself that anyone can pick themselves up from the bootstraps. Like if you brush off things and you show people grace that don't deserve it, all of these things. And every healer that I was working with was like, you're a healer. And I didn't really understand that. And then when I committed to the path of becoming a healer, it was like this purging, literally like I had acne for the first time. Everything just felt like it was spiraling out of control in my life because I threw my hands up to the universe and said, I'll do what you want me to do. Like I'll lean into this. And then my first teacher came into my life and then I decided to also become a breathwork healer. And I remember it was like February of 2018, I think, something around then, you know, I would just be like, I want to take a breathwork healer training soon. And then all of a sudden one popped up and it was the weekend. It was actually my birthday. And then I was like, man, I really want to go to Europe, though, for my birth, like the month of May. I just want to be in Europe for some reason. And so all of a sudden, my my work asked me if I would go to our London office for a trip. And I was like, 
okay. And I, you know, I wasn't making a lot of money at all whatsoever. I was underpaid. That was a part of like my whole, like, what the fuck, you know, I'm working twice as hard as some of these people and I'm still being underpaid. And I was like, okay, but I'm going to go to London and have my flight covered there and back. So I'm going to go there and I'm going to go, you know, take a cheap in Europe flight somewhere else. And then I'm going to Airbnb a room. And then this fashion conference came up in Stockholm. And I was like, hmm. And at the time I wanted to start a fashion brand. And I was like, God, I really want to go to this, but the conference ticket is way too expensive. All of a sudden, I'm on Facebook. I'm not even friends with this person. I'm not even in the same group as them. And I see this. I have a free ticket to this said fashion conference. And I'm going to give it away to someone. And so I DM them. And I was like, I don't even know if they're going to see this. And I was like, I would love this ticket. How much are you selling it for? And the person was like, no, no, no. Like, I'm literally giving it away. And I hope one day you can pay it forward to someone else. And then I like somehow looked up tickets to Copenhagen or Stockholm. And there was a sale that was happening. And I was like, I literally just manifested, you know, deepening my practice as an energy healer to pay for a flight for the first half of my trip to Europe is covered for and my hotels. And then this gift has been given to me to go to this conference. And then I am getting this dirt cheap flight to go to this conference. And so the entire month of May, I was literally in Europe, like I said, I wanted to. And it was done in a way where it was like just gift after gift. And on my birthday, I would usually like make a big thing, like go and party. And I was spending the day literally releasing ancestral chains that have been tied on to me. And so I flew back, went to sleep, woke up, did some wild shit with breath work, you know, really felt like I had spent my birthday giving myself one of the greatest gifts I would ever give to myself after the training I went to bed, woke up, and took a flight to go to this conference that I wanted to go to back on the other side of the world, and then spent the next two weeks just gallivanting around, being bougie on a budget, and then flew back like June 1st. And I was like, holy shit, looking back on that, I was like, I can't believe I manifested something in such a short amount of time because I was in right alignment with my purpose. I believed that it could happen. And then the universe absolutely 100% provided. And for me, Europe is fucked up. There's no denying it. There's racism everywhere, but there's parts of Europe where I feel like it could breathe easily. So not only that, you know, of like knowing how powerful I am, but to be able to be in a space as all of these things are falling into place into my life and the universe is showing me signs of, yes, 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 you're on the track to be able to be in an environment where I can literally prance around with my held head high and like drink amazing wine. Um, I had ran into a friend, probably the only like openly queer friend I had growing up. And he just so happened to be in Copenhagen at the same time. 
you know, we met up and we had this like three, four hour dinner in this beautiful backdrop and just laughed and caught up. And it was like, we hadn't seen each other in 20 years. And it felt like we had evolved with each other. Things like that are just so precious. And I think that was the first time I realized how magical I was and how I could bring to fruition my dreams in a way that wasn't tied to this anyone can pick yourself up from the bootstraps mentality. A Black woman that has made a profound impact on my life has been my mother through our relationship, um, which is Trey Complicado. Very complicated. I feel like I have learned loving kindness through our relationship. You know, there have been times where I just feel like we had trouble seeing each other, hearing each other, feeling each other. And I think that this year especially, I've really been able to see my mother for who she is and all that she's had to endure and to still show up as the matriarch of our family unit, despite everything she's been through is a tremendous, tremendous feat. I have such a profound amount of respect for her and the life that she has built for her family, the sacrifice that she's made. And although You know, we may have differences and we're coming from different points of view. Having that clarity and respect has been one of the greatest gifts through what has been the hardest year of our collective to date. Yeah, I just, I love her tremendously. She's my mom, you know, and I'm, I'm blessed to have a mother that I can say that I love And that is in my life. And, you know, when Kamala Harris won, yes, it was a beautiful moment for everything that she represented. But I, you know, I sat there and just sobbed thinking about how, you know, because there was a point where she said that this is a moment that was created off of the, the backs of Black women And I just was sobbing, thinking about how grateful I was to my mother, because my mother is a prime example of how that moment was able to happen. You know, sacrificing for her family to move to a foreign country, making a decision to move her kids out of that country, you know, providing for us, having to endure just a lot of the same racism, the same prejudice, but to show up in her community. You know, she had so much to do with bringing Nigerian culture to the small town of Annapolis, Maryland, into being a part of Nigerian culture in the DMV, which is one of the biggest concentration of Nigerians in the U.S. outside of Houston. And then to also teach the history Black American history, real history 
to her community. She's on the board of the Banneker Douglas Museum in Annapolis, Maryland. Our bookshelf, we have three huge bookshelves when you first come into our house that I grew up in. My parents still live there. And there's just texts from Nigerian authors, from other African authors. There's James Baldwin on the shelf, Malcolm X, and like all of those things I took advantage as a kid. And, you know, looking and seeing how much culture she's instilled, not just in our home, but in her community is also beautiful. She dedicated most of her career to teaching entrepreneurship to underserved youth. Um, She works at a predominantly Black college right now teaching entrepreneurship to, to students. And so, you know, seeing how much she's given of herself for the betterment of others is a true testament. And I think we're in a new paradigm shift for Black women where we can give that same that same energy to enrich our communities. But I think that we are breaking the story of having to sacrifice ourselves in order to enrich and better other people. And so my hope is that I can have an impact on her that way. You know, when I tell her I'm taking a nap in the middle of the day, um, she came out here to California to see me um, because I was, you know, not hanging in there while quarantining alone. And I wanted her to stay at really nice places and to just like do nothing and to see just sheer glee. I hope she doesn't mind I tell people this story, but like she sent a picture in a group text with my aunt and myself and she was taking a bath and my aunt was like, what are you doing? And she was like, I'm living my best life in California. I've done nothing. I'm taking a bath in the middle of the day and I'm staying by the ocean. This is fabulous. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> and like, just to see that like permission uh, was so beautiful. So I think the amount she's impacted me, I hope to have on her. And I would say the other Black woman that has had a tremendous amount of impact on my life has also been my grandmother, Abeni. Um, my grandmother, Mary Helen Hunt, obviously, the grandmother I grew up with um, is very feisty. She is a pastor. She says what she wants. She does what she wants. Um, she's a wild woman. I never met Abeni. And... It's so interesting because I have such a profound relationship with her as an ancestor on my spiritual journey and spiritual awakening. She was one of the first people to come to me and to commune with me and to soothe me in times where I felt alone. Um, She literally will just rub my back. And at first, that was something I was completely freaked out by of like, you know, I'd ask my dad a question like, what did your mom look like? What was her favorite color. Um, because, you know, what I didn't tell him at the time is when I was in breathwork ceremony that she, um, what I didn't know at the time would just be sitting on the edge of my mat or in the corner of a room if I was in breathwork. Um, and I would think like, am I making this up because I've never seen this person before. And if I was working with a spiritual teacher, she would come and be sitting in the room and someone would be like, well, there's this woman that's literally right behind you. 
Um, you know, she's always got your back. And so I think as I've stepped into this world, this other mystical world that's literally all around us, it's just if we're willing to pay attention to it, um, she strengthened my spiritual practice and my knowing of the spiritual world. Um, and she's really, really been a guide for me along this path, even though I've never met her in the flesh. The words black women mean to me just pure mother earth of just grace and strength and unbound magic. I truly believe that black women are a vibration and an extension of earth, of creation, of life, death, and rebirth. Sorry to everyone else. But I truly believe that Black women are love embodied. Black joy to me is every cookout that you go to and the music is just like popping. And it's all like stuff from like the 90s or the early 2000s because the the music of today like the aunties don't get it. Um, so you just go baseline and the old school tracks. And it's like, to me, I just like get a vision of my uncle hand dancing with my aunt, some like good fucking fried fish and people just laughing and cutting up. You know, maybe we've got the wobble somewhere in there, but there is nothing like the fucking cookout with the fam no one else around and just like people could be being messy, you know, gossiping before they get there, but everyone kind of sweeps it all under the rug for the greater good of having a good time. So you don't talk about the family drama that's going on and you just, you just are able to commune with one another, to laugh and to be nourished with people's hard-earned food and love that they've put into sharing with you, you know, I feel like those are some of the most precious moments of my entire life that no one will ever be able to rob me from. So what I would say to Black young youth or Black women specifically coming into their power and greatness is to forget what everyone else told you, that you really need to trust yourself and your intuition that will guide you into your power and into your greatness. You are your own authority. And to really, really, really just trust yourself and to never, ever, 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 ever give up on yourself. Um, and if you let your intuition guide you, you cannot go wrong. What I'd like to leave people with, um, actually, I, I just want to speak directly to other Black women. Something that I had mentioned before is divinity. Our divinity is our, our birthright and it's our superpower. And so... I want to encourage um, any Black woman that is listening to this to just know that about themselves. It's not some secret, you know, that I've embodied or 
something that I've tried to, to hoard for myself. Um, I really feel like there's enough magic out there for all of us. And it's waiting for us when we step into that power and that divinity. And so I pray that everyone finds that for themselves. And to go about reclaiming your divinity on a path of your choosing, um, to do so proudly, to do so without inhibition or fear, and to really just go to the places that you never had thought you would go before. And that's not physical, it's mentally, it's emotional, it's spiritually. Um, I also said that we are the vibration of Mother Earth. And I think that if we're going to make it out on the other side of this thing called life, it is through the leadership of Black women. Black women are truly going to save all of us. And so my hope is that we save ourselves first, specifically save yourself first, take time to care and nurture for yourself, take time to commune with your ancestors, uh, to be in community with other beautiful Black women, to share your knowledge, to share stories, to share resources. Community care especially is critical for our evolution, um, taking up space where we need to, because um, that's our birthright. And we don't have to sacrifice ourselves for the evolution of everyone else. So that's really my hope to, to all Black women um, is to really, 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 really step into our power with such grace and strength to, to face whatever is coming up next. Women is a series brought to you by Geneva Peshka. This series hopes to serve as a beautiful reminder to take the time to truly see each other, both in our differences and commonalities. On our site, womendocseries.com, you will find a gender non-specific toolkit that will help you facilitate an intimate conversation like those featured in Women. We encourage you to engage in these conversations with family, friends, acquaintances, and willing strangers to spark and deepen connection, understanding, and respect. Happy connecting.